Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Alright, yes, we've got something new for you today on the What If Football Podcast. It is episode 72 of that self-same show. We've got a new series, The Gazprom, and running this concurrently with the Barclays. And as our next Barclays will be the 1996-97 season, we're going to take a look at the Champions League from start to finish, beginning with 96-97. Let's get stuck straight in. And as always, we're here on the Sports Social Podcast Network every single Wednesday with a new What If Football podcast. And as I said, we're running this concurrently with the Barclays, so it makes sense. It only seems logical to start with the same point that we are in English football as, of course, the Gazprom is the Champions League in the What If Football terminology. We're also over there on the Patreon five days a week with football columns, talking about contemporary football Monday and Friday every single week. We've got a rotating cast of podcasts as well, Combined 11, where we smash together two teams and create a wonder team. And we have also got head-to-head pitting two teams, managers, games, whatever, anything you like, as well as the Great Games podcast, Story of My Season, every Tuesday and alternative football universes, just like that we do over there on that, their YouTube. But quickfire, mailbag, your suggestions boil down to about 20 minutes, as well as other stuff like football manager stuff, video game content, etc., etc. All over there on Patreon for £1 a month, 3.3 pence per piece of content, I think. I think. Anyway, let's get stuck in with today's show. It's 1996. The, the nights are drawing a bit long. It's September. We've got the holders, Juventus. 
this is still a 16-team tournament, so huge names, huge names. Still, only the champions are allowed in the still adequately titled Champions League. And Juventus have a new manager, Marcello Lippi, who's been in who's been in charge really for the past couple of years. He's um, he succeeded Trapattoni, his second spell as Juventus manager. Very, very well. I'm sure you'll, uh, I'm sure you'll remember. Trapattoni's success was was always going to pale into comparison to what he did in the 70s and 80s. What with winning the three UEFA competitions in the space of under a decade, 77 to 85, wasn't it? Where Juventus just ascended to that first wave of European success. Now they've always been a a huge team, the likes of Milan and Inter in Italy. But under Trapattoni in the first spell, they ascended to become the biggest club in Italy and did so in Europe as well. Um, unfortunately, in the 90s, didn't really translate to that success as we as we delved into the early days of the Champions League. It did bring about, though, the, uh, the UEFA Cup in 1993 with a quite convincing win over Borussia Dortmund. In the days of two-legged finals, it was 6-1 against the German club. Um little uh, teaser there for the remainder of the show. <laughs> they did win the Serie A at Acanta the the, uh, the following season, 94-95. Ten points from Lazio, the Coppa Italia win over Parma, almost a treble, almost another UEFA Cup, which would have taken Juventus up to four UEFA Cups, which would have been a record, um, obviously. Not that, not these days with the likes of uh, Sevilla. Um, Parma were the, uh, the team beating them there. It was an Italian trophy. The Champions League, though, Champions League, not not a champ, not an Italian trophy. All despite the uh, the couple of wins, well, trio of wins since nineteen eighty nine of Milan. But we've got Barcelona, all front runners, all discussing here in today's show. But big big changes were afoot at Juventus with Marcello Lippi coming in. We've also got the likes of Gianluca Pesotto into that midfield. You've got Vladimir Jukovic in defence as well, and out go huge names in Roberto Baggio and Jürgen Koller as well. They don't win Serie A. They go out of the Coppa last 16 in the previous season, though what we're discussing here today. But crucially, the reason why they're here, the reason why we're discussing them, is because, of course, they won the Champions League, beating Ajax on penalties. But more changes are afoot in the Stadio della Alpe. Gianluca Viali. Fabrizio Ravinelli, Paolo Souza, all heroes of that final gone instantly. Ravinelli, of course, we may remember he went to uh, he went to Middlesbrough and had uh, one hell of a time on the uh, on the northeast coast there. In their place, you've got Zinedine Zidane, you've got Alan Boxic, you've got Christian Vieri and Mark Uliano, which four names probably Vieri not so synonymous with. Juventus in terms of the long run. Zidane though, Boxic would um, have one hell of a season in the Champions League here as we get into it. And they were drawn into Group C, Manchester United, Fenerbahce, Rapid Vienna. So let's see how they did. They started things off at home at two Manchester United. Man United now, they've not really done anything in the uh, in the Champions League yet. They've stuttered and started obviously dominant wholly in um in the Barclays, as we've been discussing at length, we've uh, returning to returning to the Champions League after that one year away when pesky Blackburn Rovers pipped them to the Premier League. You may you may remember, 
Man United, though, they're still a bit immature on the European stage. The the um, foreigner rule has been lifted, of course, so you can play Peter Schmeichel and uh, Irish players in the same team. You don't need to uh, you don't need to be restricted to three foreigners in a in a starting eleven anymore, which of course did for them against the likes of Barcelona and Gothenburg beforehand before the uh, before the break for Blackburn Rovers. But here it's Juventus. Juventus are probably probably the team of the 90s, probably um, alongside Milan as well. You've got Johan Cruyff. He's just left Barcelona as well. So those are the sort of teams that are at the absolute tippity-top of uh, of European football. Of course, we cannot forget Ajax, the 1995 champions who reached the final. We're discussing them later on as well. But Juventus really... Probably the premier team. They're hoping to reach a third European final in a row here in the 1996-97 season. And with the likes of Zidane, you, you expect them to to do so. They start off Alan Boxic, new signing, springing the offside, trapped to lift a shot over Peter Schmeichel, which brings about Juventus's first win of the of the Gazprom campaign, 1-0 against United. Meanwhile, Rapid Vienna and Fenerbahce, share the spoils in Austria. Juventus keep going, keep doing that 1-0 thing. You've got Alan Boxic again with a 1-0 win, crucially in Turkey. Meanwhile, United get back on track with a 2-0 win over Rapid Vienna. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, new signing for United, taps in on the far post. You've got youngsters in there as well, David Beckham back in a rebound. And that was all inside the, the first quarter of the game. So Man United are, are pushing to... To return to the knockout phase of the of the Champions League here, they hadn't they hadn't reached the latter stages of the tournament yet because by the time they were they were knocked out against Barcelona and Gothenburg, that was the group stages beforehand. It was two preliminary rounds, then almost like a quarter final, almost like a semi final group phase. So they didn't get to uh, didn't get to that, didn't get to the knockout phase. The other side of that, so this is. Qualifying from this, as they do, with wins at, in Turkey and a 2-0 win there, with a final day win over Rapid Vienna, courtesy of Ryan Giggs springing the offside trap in Austria, which was crucial come match day six because you've got Juventus picking up the wins over Rapid Vienna. Manchester United did fall to successive European defeats at home, their first European defeats at home. First to Fenerbahce in a 1-0 defeat, then to Juventus. On match day five, which left, which left Group C looking like this: Fenerbahce were in second with seven points, Man United in third with six points, Juventus of course with their with their thirteen points only only dropping points away at Rapid Vienna, which I mean didn't mean too much in the grand scheme of things, did it? And it left Juventus digging Man United out of a bit of a hole, really, when they didn't really need to. They could have just thrown that match against Fenerbahce and they'd have still finished top. But a 2-0 win, fairly routine on the final day, allows Man United in to qualify for the quarterfinals. And it's really the first time where this young Man United team are mixing it with huge names such as your Juventuses in the quarterfinals, semifinals, perhaps, as we, uh, as we move on through this Gazprom season, but with the likes of Alan Bocic scoring three, four goals, 
against Rapid Vienna, you've got a you've got a team really that look like they might be fulfilling that sort of trend in the Champions League where you've got Milan, of course, winning back-to-back titles. The other side of the, the Champions League format change. When it was the European Cup, you had Milan get to successive finals in 93, 94, 95. You've got Ajax getting to 94, the 95 and 96 finals. Perhaps Juventus, as we know, will be uh, will be fulfilling that trend and we'll see how that moves forward, of course, in future episodes of the Gazprom. So really you've got here an, an experienced head, a, a team that are really ascending to become the premier team of the 90s here in Juventus. You've got a young pretender in Man United who had undergone significant changes since since that early exit in the last 16 to, to Galatasaray in 1994. They had then the double winning team. You had your Mark Hughes, your Paul Ince, etc., etc. Now it's all about David Beckham. It's all about Paul Scholes, the class of 92, etc. So you've got a much changed Manchester United team, perhaps a young and hungry team, but ultimately on the European stage, perhaps inexperienced, but a United team that will be heading towards the knockout phase. And who will join them? Well, we'll be looking at two more frontrunners after this short break where we've got... The 1995 finalists, Ajax and AC Milan. Welcome back. We've got two more front runners to discuss in the next couple of groups. We've got the 1995 finalists, of course, a couple of seasons before this. Let's start off with Ajax. Now, Ajax in 1991 had, of course, they were a long way away from uh, Johan Cruyff being the former manager. He left for Barcelona in 1988. And Ajax needed somebody of a similar vein, really, to break PSV's dominance. You may remember they won the treble in 1988. Of course, that man, it seemed long-term, was was Louis van Gaal, who takes over in 1991, still manager, as we're discussing this this Champions League season, or rather Gazprom season, um, but not for long. Um, any other future Gazprom season, we probably won't be discussing Louis van Gaal as Ajax manager. Regardless, he presides over perhaps one of the greatest seasons in football in history, perhaps only asterisks by the fact that, of course, Ajax are part of the Eredivisie and it's quote-unquote a weaker league, but that's not their fault. You've got to beat what's in front of you, as the uh, the old cliche goes. They go through the league season undefeated. They win the KNVB Cup, of course, the uh, Netherlands version of the FA Cup. Go through that, of course, undefeated because you can't win a cup without um, without losing unless it's got two legs, of course. And then the Champions League, they win that. Become one of the only teams, even now, really, to, to win that competition undefeated and with a, an exceedingly young team. And by... By this season, by 13 players that played in the 1995 Champions League season, you've got only Van der Sar, Danny Blind, the DeBoer twins, Yara Littman and Mark Overmars, and Patrick Kluivert still there. Of those, none will be here in 1999. You've got Michael Reisinger and Edgar Davids. They're currently at AC Milan. Frank Rijkaard has retired. Clarence Sadoff has gone to Real Madrid. Vanidi George has gone to Real Betis. Canu has gone to Inter Milan. And of course, those that stayed over Mars, Clivert, they'd both be gone the following season after this um, of Mars to Arsenal. Clivert to Milan for a little bit before, of course, he went to 
Barcelona. Um, crucially, of course, as well, Louis van Gaal would go to Barcelona, signing Marco Vermaas, signing Patrick Kluivert as well. What have AC Milan done since Arrigo Sacchi? Well, they had a new manager. They called him Fabio Capello, and he played relatively attacking too, um, so much so that they did win the Champions League, of course, in 1994. Pretty much ending, although Johan Cruyff would stay at Barcelona until 1996, pretty much killed, not his authority, but killed his sort of tenure as manager off in the 1994 final with a 4-0 demolition over what was, what was of course famously called the dream team after the after the 1992, obviously Barcelona, the Olympics, the basketball team of America coming in, they were, of course, known as the dream team that coincides with Barcelona winning the European Cup, etc., etc. Milan killed the dream team under Fabio Capello. They were running amok in Italy until Juventus won the title in 95 and Milan won won the, uh, the Serie A title back from them, of course, in 96, but lost the 95 Champions League final to Ajax. Returning to Ajax, they had the likes of Auxerre, they had Grasshoppers, they had Rangers. In what was Auxerre were playing some good football, they were they were coasting to the to the Liga and title playing some decent stuff. Outside of that though, Rangers were on a bit of a a bit of a run in the Scottish Premier League at the time or Scottish Premiership. But Ajax were expected to to breeze through. Fortunately, for, for Ajax, they just about scraped through Auxerre in France 1-0 with a, an acrobatic Yari Littman and goal. Auxerre, though, they would, they would bounce back. They would beat Rangers 2-1. They would, uh, they would beat Grasshoppers 1-0. And you get to the, 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 the final match day, you've got Auxerre on nine points, Ajax on nine points. Ajax had beaten Rangers home and away, but they had been sh- absolutely stunned by Grasshoppers 1-0. In um, in the Amsterdam Arena, which is a stadium recently built, of course, fresh paint still smell that. But the, nobody had got quite got to grips, quite not got the affinity to the to the Amsterdam Stadium yet. They're still sort of a lot. Of, a lot of teams tend to do that. We've seen it most recently in in England, of course, with the likes of West Ham, Tottenham to an extent, Arsenal, of course. You, I don't know, it's the change of surroundings, but we're going to the final group game. Ajax have just lost at the Amsterdam Arena, so it's, they've only really beaten Rangers. They beat them 4-1 in the Amsterdam Arena from the three home group games, and Ajax have then got to go to Grasshoppers, essentially a shootout for second place, unless Auxerre, you know, drop the ball at home to Rangers, which they don't. They do need to win. They they do quite um, quite comfortably, really. Steve Marley has been... You may remember him from the Fulham days. He's in a hat full of form, hat full of goals as well. And he um, scores a goal against the uh, the Scottish champions, the Jurors and uh, Ajax. Fantastic cutback for Patrick Kralivert. A deadly finish, much needed. Ajax follow Auxerre into the quarterfinals, both on 12 points, eking out Grasshoppers on nine. And this is before the... Before the days of teams getting funneled into the Europa League, so there's no consolation prize for glass, grasshoppers. There's no consolation prize for Fenerbahce as well from the uh, the previous group we were we were discussing there. So we go to Group D, AC Milan. A bit more of a tough group here for AC Milan, as we'll uh, of course 
gets on to as we move on. FC Porto, Portuguese champions, of course. Rosenborg, who by this time were becoming that... They were becoming that Champions League stalwart. Probably um, had a bit more of an air about them here than they did in the late 90s, early 2000s when they did qualify for the Champions League every single year. Maybe owing to a lack of competition in the, the Norwegian League rather than anything else, but wouldn't do much outside of that. But here they are. Norwegian football kind of on the rise in the mid-90s, obviously getting to the to the World Cup numerous times, getting to the to the last 16 of the World Cup as well in 98. So Norwegian football experiencing a bit of a boom period. Gothenburg had that in the 80s, of course, got to the uh, UEFA Cup in 1987. So they, they experienced their sort of rise to the top maybe a decade, decade prior. So they're out of the... They're in the afterglow of that. Meanwhile, Rosenborg are really, um, really experiencing that at the minute. And the two meet on match day one and one hell of a contest, really. And Gothenburg go 2-1 up, but they're pegged back in the second half. Stefan Everson, if you remember him, Spurs fans. Stefan Everson bags a, an equaliser sliding in on the back post. And then Brat back pounces on a poor clearance. He will become crucial for, for Rosenborg as we... Uh, as we go on. But obviously the second game away at AC Milan. AC Milan similarly, like Gothenburg, lost 3-2 at home. They would they would go into the second match day needing a win to really get back on, on form after Porto. Disposed of them, you've got Mario Jardel heading in the winner. Scoring two at, uh, at the San Siro there in a 3-2 winner. An outstanding comeback by Porto. Porto then beat Gothenburg. They then beat Rosenborg home and away. So Porto really, uh, by match day five, the qualified, they've got four wins from four. They are pretty much with the with the goals of uh, mainly Mario Jardel, to be honest. They are cruising through Group D quite comfortably compared to AC Milan, who was supposed to be, supposed to be that sort of figurehead of the group. Meanwhile, AC Milan are are struggling. They, they hit four past Rosenborg, which puts them second place. But then the group is sort of, it was supposed to go Porto and Milan. And then obviously with Porto's great start, their first Milan second. But Milan suffer a defeat in Sweden, despite of George Weyer. Remember him? Yeah. Ballon d'Or winner in 95. Scored that fantastic goal where he ran past nobody. Um, he scores... The opener for Milan in Sweden, but Eric Val Stelt equalises late on, but still time, still time for Nicholas Alexanderson. Everton fans may remember him. Um, Nicholas Anders- Alexanderson, an absolute country mile offside, but he scores a late winner and a swift turnaround, which really knocks AC Milan's confidence. They are tied for second with Gothenburg and Rosenborg, both on three points. And there's really a chance for either Offenberg and Milan to to push ahead with Porto as Porto really does have Rosenborg's number beating them home and away without conceding either and Gothenburg go to the San Siro Zvonimir Boban Dimitri Albertini setting up the the lead quite comfortably against the Swedes Simone with his with his white boots that looked so they looked um, well he stood out in 1996 that's for that's to be honest, really. And uh, he's assist for Thomas Locatelli. Dredges Milan back to 3-2 as they'd been pulled back. And Roberto Baggio makes it four late on. So AC Milan going into 
match day five. They've got a crucial match in the Dragao, or in Porto, rather. They sit second on six points, Rosenborg and Gothenburg. The Scandinavians, who will meet in uh, Trondheim, they're on three points. Winner there really takes it to the final day against Milan. If Milan can't find a win in Porto, and they don't, they needed, really, they did, they did need a win, and Edgar Davids scores an absolutely phenomenal Phenomenal volley, but Porto. This was this was a group stage really built around late goals. Ed Mielsen heads in late on to secure a point, and uh, let's be honest, it um, Porto didn't really need the result. A bit like Juventus early on, but they grab it. They they do tie up that top spot in in um, in Group D, and they're heading. They know exactly their fate going into the final game of the group stage against Gothenburg, who unfortunately, thanks to uh, a bent Scammelsrud penalty, thrashing it against the uh, Gothenburg goalkeeper over there in Trondheim, bounces off his face, goes into that Rosenberg, <laughs> secure a, a, a flimsy 1-0 lead. Doesn't do them any good in terms of getting into second place, but what it does do is it takes the takes the tie into takes them into the San Siro with a chance, a really small chance, but still a chance to get into the quarterfinals. Meanwhile, Porto, with Gothenburg eliminated, Gothenburg three points um, before the final match day, they lose 2-0, um, fairly routine for Porto in Sweden. They're just, just tying up some formalities. Meanwhile, obviously, the game of, potentially the game of the group stage, really, is not really, um, it's not really a game that goes at least in the group stage anyway, that's like do or die like this one between two teams fighting for the for the second place anyway. I mean, you know, Manchester United got helped out by Juventus, but these are two teams in AC Milan and Rosenborg at the San Siro as well. Everyone's expecting, you know, AC Milan have won it three times recently, but appeared in uh, two more finals, of course. Probably are the team of the 90s still, even though you know, they're on the back nine of that. And, you know, a lot has changed to say the least, since the three Dutchmen in the early 90s. Harold Bratback, again, he stuns Milan by scoring early, but Christoph Dugri equalises. Now, obviously, for Milan, all they need to do is get a point against the Norwegians. It looks as though they're going to consolidate their place in the um, in the quarterfinals with a draw. It wouldn't be like the most glamorous, <laughs> glamorous progression into the quarterfinals with eight points from six games, but, you know, teams have, teams have done it since and gone on to win the trophy, you know, sticking in Milan. Inter in 2010, they they didn't get up to double figures for points, ended up winning the treble. So it doesn't really matter as long as you get through. But then the goalkeeper is all at sea. Vegard Hegem of Premier League fame as we uh, as we move on into the uh, latter part of the night. He beats him to it. And in the end, it's an absolute catastrophe. Absolute catastrophe. Rosenborg are through to the quarterfinals, they will play a group winner from uh, from the rest of the group session. We go through to the to the underdogs. Really, it's a bit of it's one of them groups in Group B where you've got two. Ooh, ooh, I assume were the the two higher ranked teams in Atletico Madrid and Borussia Dortmund, who rather fall into a into a, a simple group really with. Um, Vizu Vudge from uh, Poland and Stau Bucharest in Group B, and in the end, really, it's relatively comfortable, and it does it does really hinge on match days three and four when both Atletico Madrid and Borussia Dortmund are playing one another. Both matches end in an away win. You've got 
Borussia Dortmund's winning in the Calder on through Stefan Reuter, prodding home in a pretty tight contest there. Meanwhile, back at the uh, Westfalen Stadion, you have um, Atletico Madrid bouncing back, overturning a one-goal deficit to make it 2-1, which leaves leaves the standings with Atletico 9, Borussia Dortmund on 9, and Vudge and Stauer on 3 points going into, essentially, they both need a point in match day 5. Both gain the point and they are safely through and essentially what it is going into match day six is whoever, you know, Dortmund on the head-to-head are behind Atletico Madrid. So, and Atletico Madrid, they, they win 1-0 against Fudge. So therefore, and sorry for the Polish pronunciation, I know there's an absolute ton of um, accents and etc. on uh, the city is pronounced is uh, spelt L-O-D-Z, and I'm fairly certain it's Vudge, but um, please correct me if that is wrong, and <laughs> I assume it is, I assume it is. Uh, but Atletico Madrid eke out the 1-0 win over the Polish unpronounceables, and uh, that means that Dortmund can't really do anything against Stauer to to earn that advantage in the, essentially what, to get the second leg at home really in the... Uh, in the quarterfinals, and they put five beyond Stauer, concede three themselves, but uh, Karl-Heinz Riedel scoring a lovely diving header in that final game, if you must know. Dortmund, though, they go into the quarterfinals, Otmar Hitzfeld working absolute wonders at the uh, at the Westfalen Stadion. To put it into perspective, the Bundesliga era started in 1963. Dortmund had not won a single league title up until, of course, they won the final quote-unquote German championship in 63. And the only real trophy of note that Dortmund had, of course, they were successful in the 60s in uh, in the uh, Cup Winners' Cup, UEFA Cup. They'd won the 1989 Pokal most recently, but coming in, Omar Hitzfeld, the Swiss coach, Dortmund were 10th. Took them close to the title, took them obviously close to the UEFA Cup, which we discussed earlier in that Juventus final in '93. And under Hitzfeld's watch, Dortmund signed the likes of Stefan Chapuisat, Matthias Sammer, Stefan Reuter, Karl-Heinz Riedel, Andy Moller, Jürgen Koller. All of these huge names which would become synonymous with the club, synonymous of course, with this season. This season they'd signed Paul Lambert and Paolo Souza. They'd promoted Lars Ricken. Um, a name we're going to be discussing later. Um, meanwhile, you've got for Atletico Madrid, you have Radomir Antic in charge and... In the midst of Real Madrid's, they called them the Vulture Squad in the 80s, where they won five league titles in a row, obviously. Quickly curtailed by the Dream Team. Every every team seemingly had a uh, had a nickname in uh, La Liga back then. That was broken quite spectacularly. Of course, you had Deportivo in 94, almost win the league. You've got Atletico Madrid win the league and cup double, which never happened unless you called Real Madrid or Barcelona. Of course, you've got the uh, the names of Diego Simeone, Kiko, Penev, the star turns in this Atletico team. And it was the first Spanish team not called Real Madrid, not called Barcelona since 1984 in Athletic Club to, to win the league, win the cup. Atletico's first league since 1977. So they are underdogs, despite obviously being the... Being the Spanish representation in the, in the Champions League here, yeah, there's no Real Madrid, no Barcelona, as the uh, the dynasties of Johan Cruyff. Of course, Barcelona would 
would romp to the Cup Winners' Cup success um, with uh, Bobby Robson and Ronaldo, etc. And uh, Real Madrid will be back. That's for, of course, the next Gazprom episode. But after this short break, we're going to delve into the knockout stages. We've got Borussia Dortmund, we've got Atletico Madrid, we've got Porto, we've got Rosenborg, we've got Ajax, we've got Auxerre, we've got Juventus and Manchester United. One of them will win, one of them will be a European champion. We'll find out who it is after this short break. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Borussia Dortmund versus Auxerre. Auxerre, one of the more exciting teams in Europe in the mid-90s. Borussia Dortmund, as we discussed, as we labelled them in the previous segment, an underdog. So we've got potentially almost a flip of the coin stuff. One of those draws where looks kind for either team. You think potentially both could um, could spring a surprise and semi-finals. Who knows what happens? So, Karl-Heinz Riedel is assisted by an overhead kick in a 3-1 win at home in the first leg. Rene Schneider heads in a second, pretty much a certain dominance. Sabri Lamucci, uh, Nottingham Forest fans, um, he scores the vital away goal for Auxerre to keep a bit of interest going into the second leg, let's be honest. Um, Andy Moller gets a third, but you've still got Auxerre needing a two-goal win against the Dortmund team who are pretty much... Let's not forget they won successive league titles break in that Bayern Munich spell, haven't they? So you've got a decent enough team in Dortmund. You've got a team you'd probably think you'd probably hedge your bets on now with a, with a two-goal lead despite the away goal. Enough for Dortmund to progress to a semi-final. And let's be honest, Dortmund in a semi-final of a Champions League fixture hasn't happened for a long time, if ever. Crucially, that away goal is tied quite quickly thanks to Lars Rickens' deflected goal in the second leg and that is essentially curtains for the French team and Dortmund in what you'd call probably in 1997 a weaker half of the draw, let's say. Manchester United are in the hat for the semi-finals. They will meet Borussia Dortmund after the likes of David May, Eric Cantona, Ryan Giggs, Andy Cole scored in a 4-0 route of FC Porto in the first leg. The only nil-nil of the Champions League tournament, of course, he asterisks it with the fact that it's the last 16-team tournament in Champions League history. But that nil-nil in uh, in Porto is enough for Manchester United to go through to a semi-final for the first time since 1968. And what happened then? Of course, Manchester United won their very first European Cup. 
Will they win it again? Uh, uh, not today. Borussia Dortmund go ahead in the uh, Westfalenstadion. A 1-0 win. Whilst you do want... You you don't really mind in this stage, in the in the era of the away goals, you don't really mind too much a one-goal defeat, but when it's a 1-0 win, or 1-0 defeat rather, it makes it a bit more nervy rather than if it was 2-1 or 3-2, etc., etc. René Tretzok... Has a deflection deflection shot, hits Peter Schmeichel's palm and um, Borussia Dortmund squeak through 1-0 to Old Trafford where, of course, the next goal, if ever there is a, a peak time for the next goal is crucial, it's if you're going away from home in a Champions League knockout tie, you've won the first leg at home 1-0. If you score essentially almost the game's done and dusted because unless you're facing like a vastly superior team they need to score three and it happens exceedingly early on United switch off from a throw in that inexperience I was talking about earlier on that does play a huge part um, here and obviously United's experience would grow from this it would grow from other exploits in uh, in Europe and in domestic football but mainly Europe they switch off from the throw-in, Lars Ricken scores, and now United need three. Obviously, they don't get three. They don't get any. Borussia Dortmund go through to a first European Cup final. And, of course, it's been held in Munich. So, how delightful that would be for Dortmund fans. But who are we going to meet? Let's nip over to the other half of the draw. You've got Juventus, the favourites, still the favourites. They've been handed a kind draw. Rosenborg, now, that would have been a tantalising quarter-final if it was Juventus, AC Milan. But... We cannot have nice things in this world. And Rosenborg, to be fair, they put up a bit of a fight. Tron Soltfelt scores the opener for the Norwegians. And surely they couldn't do it. They could not do it. Um, and yeah, they could not do it. Uh, Christian Vieri scores ahead almost instantly. Um, the away goal, um, going back to Turin, you think it's probably a bit of a step beyond Rosenborg. But they've done it before. They've won in Italy before this season. Unfortunately, um, Rosenborg's goalkeeper clears a, clears a shot straight into Zidane's face um, and that's, there's a goal. Um, Rosenborg make the life extremely hard for themselves in this second leg um, and Amoruso thrashes in a, a late penalty pretty much to confirm Juventus's place but you've got to say even though it's three one, a 3-1 defeat over the two legs Rosenborg put up one hell of a fight and um, this still remains Rosenborg's best performance in the Champions League you will not be surprised to, uh, to learn and Juventus who are they meeting but of course, the finalists from the previous season, Ajax. Ajax held probably probably the the most entertaining two legs of knockout stage football anyway. You've got Esnider nodding in the away goal for Atletico in Amsterdam, but Patrick Clivert levels the game. Then the game goes to extra time in the Calder on in the reverse leg. Kiko and Ronald De Boer, they trade goals to take the game into extra time, of course. Away goal still rule here, and um, Danny's goal in uh, on 100 minutes worthy of winning any game of football. It's an absolute blockbuster, and obviously that away goal for for Atletico Madrid for Ajax rather kills Atletico. They've got to score two in extra time in you know, 20 minutes, especially in a Champions League game. Very hard to do. They don't manage it. It's a repeat of the '96 final. Winner meets Borussia uh, Dortmund. You've got Ajax, you've got Juventus. And it's the same story. Ajax, they've got one win from from five games at home. The newly 
newly found home of the Amsterdam Arena. Of course, this being the fifth match they lose to Juventus. Now, not, it, it does kill the game off, but Ajax have had a, a superior record away from home. They've got a fantastic record, obviously showed that in the quarterfinals against Atletico Madrid. Didn't do too badly in the group stages, winning two of their three group matches away from home. But Attilio Lombardo rolling back the years, Christian Vieri scores in the first half as well. So you've got Juventus winning 4-1 on aggregate as you get into the second half and it's essentially game over. Amoruso and Zidane tie it up late on to uh, to make it 4-1. And Juventus, surprisingly comfortable finalists. And now you're thinking, even though it's in Germany, even though it's in Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Champions League novices to an extent, Juventus, although they've only won two European Cups, they have a superb crop of players. They've got big-time experience in Europe. And although a couple of the players, Jürgen Koller and Andy Moller, have swapped from Juventus to Borussia Dortmund since the 1993 final, you've got a team in Juventus there who have bragging rights over Dortmund from the 1993 UEFA Cup final. You've got them in a third European final in a row, expected to win this one. They they didn't didn't win the first, admittedly. Didn't win the first, admittedly, but they won the one that matters, didn't they? The Champions League, if you can count one that matters. Champions League over UEFA Cup. Every single day of the week, of course. And Dortmund really make a huge fist of it. They take advantage of Angelo Peruzzi's lack of, I don't know, aerial ability from set pieces. Karl-Heinz Riedel slams one in inside the half hour, too slow out the uh, the Italian goalkeeper. And he's nowhere from another corner. Karl-Heinz Riedel heads in a second goal and there you're thinking, oh my God, Juventus, supposedly the new team, the team to take over AC Milan. They're not going to win it. It's going to be the perennial underdog, Borussia Dortmund. And despite Alessandro Del Piero's deft flick to pull the game back and potentially, potentially sneak the game into extra time. You've got one of the more iconic goals with the first touch of any substitute ever. Lars Ricken hits it first time. What a first touch. Kills the Champions League stone dead. Lobs the goalkeeper. Lobs Peruzzi from 30 yards with his first touch. And therefore, Dortmund have the Champions League. They have the Gazprom for the very first time. And what a way to to start this new series here on the What If Football podcast. And of course, that being the final, that is where we'll end today's show. We've got more Gazprom football, more Gazprom episodes coming up. Of course, it's the Champions League. It's returned. So we're going to do another one next week. We're going to do the 1997-98 season. Can Borussia Dortmund retain their trophy? Can Juventus reach a fourth European final in a row? It's 24 teams this time. So maybe a bit more of a unpredictability as the as the format changes radically but more on that next week thank you very much for listening supporting the channel and until next week see there
Smartcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.